Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, this is Gospel Saving Church, and this is, I am Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is God's, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you didn't come today to be entertained, because that's not what church is supposed to be about. It's about hearing the Word of God, learning how to follow God more, or coming to follow God initially, and fellowshipping and helping one another with our walks with the Lord. It's not about, the Bible says, being entertained. I hope that's why you came. That's why you came. You came to the right place. If you came here to be to learn the word of the Lord and, and to follow him stronger, that's that's the you came to the right place. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would please join me. I always ask God to help us understand his word and, and help us and not only understand, but then do, apply. Apply the things that God wants us to do and he says in his word to our lives. And that's the hard part. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Lord, thank you for all those that have come online, Lord, through SoundCloud or Facebook or, or another, wherever, Lord God, all over the world. Uh, I've, I've seen things going out, Lord. I'm, I'm pretty amazed at what you're doing with the Gospel Saving Church. Uh, uh, sounds that I'm, I'm sending out my sermons. So, Lord, I, I welcome them, Lord. I, I, I thank you for them. And I do ask, Lord, for them and for me and for those in my home in McKinney, Texas, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand your word today. And as I said before, I even started praying, Lord, you heard me. We pray that you'd help us not only understand your word, but also, Lord, apply your word to our lives. For wisdom, Lord, without us applying what we learn is absolutely useless. I'll, I'll mention that in the sermon today. It is absolutely useless to know something and the knowledge of that something not affect us in any way. So help us, Lord. Help us. I pray your word would penetrate our hearts and your word would make changes by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, into our hearts and unto this flesh and into our minds and unto repentance, Lord, unto the things of you. So we thank you and we love you and we praise you and we ask you for those things, Lord God. Help us. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, we ask those things. Amen. Today we're going to finish out Acts chapter 24. We're going to be in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 through 27. I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles and get there if you're not there yet. Again, end of Acts chapter 24. We're almost getting done with Acts. So if I could ask you guys for a prayer request, please pray for me that God would tell me what book to go into next. Because, you know, we're only just a few chapters away from finishing Acts. And I, I go book by book. I don't go the books in order. I go by whatever God wants me to go to. But so I would say by the by the new year, we should probably be, hopefully be in another, in another book. So pray for me that, you know, I know what God wants me to do. Anyway, if there, the title of the sermon today, fight or flight. Simple two words, fight or flight. Acts 24, 24 through 27, if you guys want to read along with me, Bible says this. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Last verse. But after two years... Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. 
Now, Paul had just been through a whole lot of dealings with the Jews. Some time back, the Jews found him in the temple with two other Jews that they thought were Gentiles, but weren't. They were wrong. But it doesn't matter whether they were wrong or not. They had already were already angry with him because of his teaching about Jesus Christ and his teaching about the law of Moses, and they did not like it. And so they saw him. They presumed something that wasn't true. They were just looking for an instance to hurt him. They attacked him. They were beating him. They were attempting to kill him. Remember, he recounted all this in last week's trial that we studied last week. But as God would have his sovereign will fulfilled with and in Paul's life, God sent a rescuer, Lysias, the Roman commander, who came and delivered Paul from the Jews' hands. In all, Paul goes through two different trials where the Jews are hoping that they'll get the Romans to give him the death penalty. They, they could not legally put anybody to death, even though that was God's law in the Old Testament. The Rome was now their, their you know, they were subject to Rome. And Rome said, you can no longer do that. So they couldn't give anybody any capital punishment anymore. They had to hope in the Romans to do that, or if they wanted to do it illegally, like they tried to do with Paul. But all those people that would have killed Paul probably would have gone to prison and died themselves, but they didn't care. Anyway, it was, it was a mess. Jesus Christ, remember, said to Paul, you're going to Rome. You're going to testify of me in Rome, just like you testified of me here. And what Jesus Christ says will happen, we've mentioned this for the last couple of few weeks, will happen infinity percent. To whatever God wills, that's what he wills, and that's just it. Last week, we had our second trial with the Jews making their case to Felix, the governor of Caesarea, against Paul. And they said some really harsh things about him, but it turns out that all they really were were just harsh things and accusations. They had no real proof to, to you know, substantiate any proof to actually show Felix and prove to him that Paul was guilty of doing anything wrong that deserved of him putting him to death. So Felix, of course, was compelled to let Paul free. Hey, you know, he's innocent, but, but I'm going to leave him bound, but he, you know, he's innocent. And so remember, Paul did a little more in his defense, though, than just defend himself. He had an agenda. As I believe all real Christians should live their lives, biblically, this is my belief, not just because I have this belief on my own, but biblically, Christians should live their lives with the same agenda that Paul had with Felix and the Jews. His agenda was that he took every opportunity to share Jesus Christ with people. Remember Acts 24, 14 and 16. He goes right in the middle of him defending himself. He throws this in there, this witness. Uh, but, but this I confess to you, and that according to the way, which is Christianity, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. 15. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there may be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Paul witnessed to them right in the midst of defending himself, of his hope in God, of the resurrection to come, you know, the judgment of the just and the unjust, so on and so forth. Now, you may be saying that for Paul, that was a pretty weak witness for Jesus Christ. I might be inclined to agree since he didn't even use the Savior's name. He did speak of the way, which the way we know that Christians were first deemed, or 
the disciples were first deemed Christians back in Antioch many chapters before. So the way was also known as Christianity or Christ's way, you know, which is, which is, of course, the group of people that were following the Savior, Jesus Christ. So even though he didn't say Jesus Christ's name, in the name of the way is implied of the people that follow Jesus Christ. So he did, in a sense, in an indirect way, witness to them of the Savior, Jesus Christ, but, but still it was still a witness nonetheless, okay? What Paul did, no matter how weak it may seem to us, was to plant seeds in their hearts. That's really what he did. He was following Jesus Christ the Savior. Matthew 13, 3, Jesus gave a parable. He spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And we know that the sower went out and sowed seeds, and the seeds were men's hearts. And, you know, there were four seeds, and I'm not going to go through them all today. I'm going to, we're going to move forward, but I just wanted to put that picture in your mind. That's what Paul was doing. He's being the sower. It was Jesus Christ, of course, being the sower first, but then after Jesus Christ was the sower, of course, he expects his children, those who are his followers, to be sowers as well, too, of the truths of himself and of God's kingdom. And as weak as Paul's sowing, will say, the seeds of God's kingdom of Jesus Christ may have been to the Jews and to Felix, did you notice in our first verse of study today that it worked? And that's really what it's all about. It's getting the witness out there, even if it's an indirect witness, because it can work. Look at verse 24 again. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Trusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. How well did the seeds that Paul planted work on Felix? Luke just told us that Felix was away from Caesarea for some time. He may have been on vacation or he may have been away on royal business, you know, because he, he was a governor. So he, you know, he was a, was a leader of the nation, a leader of, you know, of Rome, one of the leaders of Rome. And it says that when he returned with his wife, he sends for Paul. Why did he have to send for Paul? Two reasons, remember. Two reasons. Felix said, I'm going to keep Paul bound, but I'm not going to keep him bound in like a prison or, you know, he's going to have basically royal liberties and he's going to be under guard. And of course, Roman, Rome would, of course, pay for everything for Paul because he was one of their you know, official prisoners, even though he wasn't officially guilty, deserving to be. But again, God would have his sovereign way. But he had to send for Paul because Paul wasn't in an actual prison like we would know today, right? Paul wasn't like locked up in a cage. And so he had to send for Paul because Paul may have been out. He wasn't even bound to stay in the dwelling that Rome was footing for him. He could go where he wished. People could come to him. He could travel inside Caesarea, of course. And so he sends for Paul, number one, because Paul's not right there next to him in the jail. But he sends for Paul. The bigger reason he sends for Paul is he sends for him, verse 24, is he sends for him and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Notice he didn't call him to talk more about the case of between him and the Jews. Felix was, remember, I just said it, a governor of, the, of a Roman city. He wasn't one of Paul's buddies. Felix had much government business to attend to, yet despite as busy as he was, when he gets back from his trip, whatever that trip was with his wife, he specifically and purposely calls for Paul just to hear him about Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That means that what Paul had said was enough in the trial with the Jews and with Felix that without even saying, Jesus Christ, come to Jesus Christ and giving the gospel right then and there, he said enough that, that God's Holy Spirit was working on Felix's heart that, that 
God was able to draw. God will use whatever we give him, Christians. It, it does not have to be uh, every single person we talk to. Oh, hey, oh, how's it going today, John? Oh, hey, oh, let me tell you about Jesus Christ today, John. See, what he did for you is he lived and he died and he rose again and he, and he expects you right now to turn it. It doesn't mean, need to be that. It does, I, I, I told you last week, and, I, and I'm hoping that my life and those listening to me out there would be an example to those that are listening to me uh, in my home and, and abroad. I said last week that I witnessed to every single person that I come in contact with, everywhere I go, every, everything I do, but it, I told you, it, it's not always with my words. Number one, I wear my faith on my body. I'm a firm believer that what you wear, that's who owns you. So if you wear a shirt and it says uh, Adidas or, or Nike or Fila, well, you're just, rep- you're just basically being a billboard for them. And I hate to say it, but that's kind of, I see that as who owns you. I want to represent my Savior, the one who owns me, with my, with my wear with my faith wear. I wear my hats. Where I, they make Jesus hats that are awesome, and I don't even like wearing hats. Uh, they make Christian shirts. They make Christian uh, you know, winter wear. I wear my faith on my body so people know when I step up who I represent. I represent the person that's all over me, written all over me. That's number one. Number two, I season my speech with Jesus Christ and the things of God. Uh, people will ask me a question about this, and I'll say, well, you know... Um, God brought me to my house about 12 years ago. You know, I, I serve him. He's my Lord. And I'll just say things like that. I'm not going, oh, hey, John, uh, hi, my name's Ed. You know, can I talk to you about Jesus? You know, when I'm buying a, a, a bag of groceries from the store. But, but John, the grocery store clerk, certainly knows that I represent Jesus Christ because I, I act toward him the way I, and I love him. I'm wearing my faith on my sleeve and my hat and my mouth and my speech. And, and number three, the last way I do it is, of course, God leads me here and there. You know, everybody's not ready for the one-on-one personal witness. God will then lead me, number three, to break that person down. And I was on the phone uh, doing something with my phone carrier, with my cell phone carrier about a week or two ago. And I, you know, same thing. As we're talking, obviously he can't see what I look like, but he can hear my words. And I, oh, you're going to do that for me? Oh, man, praise God. Thank you so much. You, you're you're going to really, you're going to... You're going to not charge me an activation fee for those things that you're... Oh, man. Dude, praise the Lord. That is so awesome, man. God God is so good. Things like that. Things like that. Just simple things like that. Well, lo and behold, God led me. His his fellow's name was Brian. I'm still praying for him this day. I'm going to pray for him until I die. But God led me where I had a one-on-one witness with him. I was able to share some things about, you know, reading God's Word and the things of God and having a relationship with God. And it was an awesome, like, one-on-one witness. But anyway, that's what Christians, that's that, that, that kind of thing, these kind of things, I should say, must be a part of a Christian's walk with Christ. Your, 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 your walk in life, it's the Great Commission, ladies and gentlemen, those out, those out there that are really walking with the Lord. It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission doesn't mean now, understand, that everybody has the gift of evangelism. Everybody is not an Apostle Paul. Everybody is not an Apostle Peter. Everybody is not a a Philip the Evangelist. Everybody is not a Pastor Ed. Everybody is, though, if they are following Christ, they are a servant 
of Christ. And it gives us then, Jesus, by his great commission, it gives us a, a, a response. We're supposed to be responsible to share Jesus Christ with others wherever we go and in everything we do, no matter what the circumstance. In fact, find the circumstance and then find that little in and then interject the Lord's name. Just so that people know it's enough to where, you know, I've had people before in the past when I've just been like, oh man, praise God, that's awesome. Oh, well, sir, how long you, well, God brought me here about 11, 12 years. And then all my speech and season with the Lord. And then it it turns out as the conversation goes on about business that the person ends up going, well, you know, I hear, sir, that you're, you know, you you talk about the Lord, you know, and, and then we'll start, they'll bring it up. They'll ask me. So you just never know. You just never, and then, and then you don't have to worry about what you'll have to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say, just like Paul, just like he has me. I'm, a, I'm not that smart of a guy, but God has given me answers throughout the years just because I put myself out there for the Lord. You have to be available and you have to be responsible as a Christian to be out there you know, representing Jesus Christ in whatever you do and in everything you do with your words, with your looks, with everything. And this is a commission. This is the Great Commission. This is what Paul did, and this is what we see first thing. How does Paul's witness with Felix go? You know, some witnesses go really good. Some witnesses for the Lord go really bad. Some go stale, and some are just neutral. And so how does Paul's witness with Felix go? Well, look at verse 25. We see Paul's response, or Paul's witness, and then we see Felix's response. Look at verse 25. Now, as he, that'd be Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. I, I could just hear him. And when, he, when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Uh, first, I want to point out the fact, if anybody's under this impression like I used to be when I was a younger Christian, Paul just did not meet Felix and Felix wanted to know what faith to God. Okay, here's what Christ said. Christ said he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back to judgment. And now you got to turn to him right now. He, that, he didn't just give the gospel, the gospel according to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 and 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul just didn't give him the words of the gospel. Paul just didn't tell him what Jesus Christ did for him. When I was a younger Christian, I thought, I went through a small time where I thought, reading the Bible, well, all I'm supposed to do is just tell people, hey, oh, can I you know, tell you about Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, he lived and he died and he rose again. Praise God. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, yeah, praise God. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And I actually went through a small phase where I thought all I was supposed to do was give the gospel. No, Paul spoke way more than the gospel to Felix here, and I'm going to show you in the three things that he talked about. If you look at those three things, verse 25, first thing that he talked about was righteousness. Now, this is the gospel. Righteousness, you may be thinking, well, that, he just told Paul, to, or he just told Felix to do this right and do that right and do this right and do that right. No, because that's not the gospel. The gospel is not, I can work my way to heaven by righteous deeds. The Bible says, when Paul speaks about righteousness, what God says about righteousness and Christ in righteousness, you can only have righteousness in Christ. 
abiding in Christ, believing on Jesus Christ. This is where Paul gave him the gospel. By the gospel, by what Jesus Christ did for man. He lived, he died, he rose again. This is what saves man to defeat death. This is what saves us. This, this gospel brings mankind salvation. Without the gospel, Jesus Christ's love and his sacrifice to defeat sin on the cross and to, to defeat death, he, he would be no more than Allah. Allah in, the, in, the, in, the, in, their, in their Muslim scriptures, he says, I love you. But you see the difference between Allah and Jesus Christ of the Bible, Allah and the Quran, they don't give any ways in which Allah loves you. He says, Allah just says, oh, I love my people, or I love, I love you, my, my, my person or my people. He doesn't say, this is what I did for you so that you know I love you. No, no, no. God and Jehovah and Jesus Christ in the Bible said, we love you. Here's why we love you. See, because if somebody says they love you, they, they show you that they love you. They don't just tell you that they love you. Somebody that speaks just, oh, I love you, but then they don't show you, that biblically that's not real love. And so that's what Paul gives them first. Paul gives them the gospel. Hey, righteousness can only be attained through Christ. Here's what Christ has done for you. He lived, he died, he rose again, he defeated sin and death. Wow, he did that for me? Yeah, and you can be righteous because of that. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell Felix about self-control. What is that? Self-control, that sounds to me like, you know, not having that second helping of soup or something. No, no, no. Self-control, spiritual self-control. This is the life a saved person is supposed to live for Jesus Christ. Uh, For instance, you go out tomorrow and you get hired. You've been looking for a job. You've got, you know, 25 apps out because you're really thirsty. You're really hungry to get working. You know, you need a better job or you need some extra work to support your family. You know, Christmas is coming up and, and holiday bills and stuff like that. So you need another job or you need a job. Well, okay, so uh, Bank of America calls you back and you get hired. And, hey, you know, you're hired. Come on, you want to, we're going to have you work as a teller in the branch and, you know, great job. Okay, awesome. So then you walk in there, you get hired, what's next? <laughs> your, your responsibility doesn't stop at, you're hired, great job, we'll see you later, does it? No, you're, after you're hired, then they give you the big handbook, boom, you know, they slap you on the head with it. Here are the do's and don'ts of the things that you have to do and you don't and you shouldn't do for this job. Uh, you, you can't come to work dressed in sandals and holy shorts and, uh, you know, a, a, a surfer tee. Now, that's not allowed. Same thing. You can't just give people money that they don't own. That's not theirs. Oh, really? Okay. It's common things, but still, you, there's, once you get hired, there's a self-control then to do whatever the business you're hired onto wants you to do. As a Christian, now that I've come to Christ, he did that for me. Oh, I want him. Here I am. You believe in him, right? That's your response. We're going to talk about that as the sermon goes on. Then Christ says, well, here, boom, boom, hits you on the head with the Bible. Okay, my son, my daughter, yes, I accept you. Boom. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's all the different things that you shouldn't do as a follower of mine. Oh, and here's all the things that you should do for me. 
And that's what I want you. It's called religion. And people, oh, religion, pastor, oh, religion, religion. No, no, no. See, religion is a good thing as long as it's a biblical religion. A religion means following the ways of Christ, following the ways of the Bible. <clears throat> religion that's not good is I'm going to have this religion and I'm going to get my righteousness before God because I'm doing these religious good works and there I can earn my salvation. That's the not good religion. There's good religion and bad religion. And here, Paul's telling Felix, <clears throat> even after the gospel, he's telling him, okay, here's the life that God wants you to live after you come to be saved. And then it's also part of the do's and don'ts is you got to stay to the end, right? God wants to hire you and he wants you to come on and join his team. But, but that means that it's a lifetime contract, there ain't no God wants you here today and then gone tomorrow. This is an endurance in the faith. That's also something that was self-control that God expects somebody after they come to be a Christian that he expects them to, you know, to, to continue in. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if, if, there's a, that's a big two-letter word. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you. And what does that mean? If? Uh, <clears throat> I, you, you, here's this car. I'm going to give you this car. And if you continue to make the payments of the $15,000 that you bought this car for, then you'll have the car and it'll be free and clear in your name. Eventually, the title will be in your name only. Right? Here's this house that you're buying. And you may attain it and have the, the, the title or the, the, the deed only your name if you make the payments until you pay us the $145,000 that you bought the house for. That if is a big if. That if means if you continue. Well, here in Jesus, if you continue in Christ and in the gospel, then you're all right, right? Matthew 24, 13. He or she who endures to the end shall be saved. And all those ideas require a whole bunch of self-control to abide in Jesus Christ until the end and suppress your flesh, flesh and live a life following Jesus Christ. And, and so those are the first two things. And lastly, Paul tells Felix of, what? Did you see it there? Verse 25, the judgment to come. Of course, this is the time of the end that everyone will stand before the judgment seat of God and Christ and where some will be found righteous because they came to him and stayed with Jesus Christ and were productive in him and, and, and where many or are sadly the majority of mankind won't make it in for one reason or another, either uh, because they flat out rejected Jesus Christ and his message or, or the ones that did accept it and get saved, but, but because they weren't careful to endure to the end, and either drifted away from their faith or fell back to a willful, sinful life or in whatever way they disqualified themselves from eternal life, just like Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians. But there was a lot of deep and difficult stuff that Paul was teaching Felix here, not just the gospel. You know, Jesus loves you, Felix. All right. All right. Thank you, Paul. What else? Oh, Jesus loves you. I've heard it. Guys, I've heard it. I've heard the witness of people. This is it's not, it's not a witness. I mean, it is a witness, but it's not what salvation. It's not when God gives you the open door like he gave with Felix here, the one-on-one. -on -one. You got to tell people more than what Jesus did for them. You got to tell them what they need to do to respond in order to receive that. 
What Paul told him, don't misunderstand, what Paul told him here, it wasn't difficult for Felix to understand as far as, oh, wait, what, what, huh? What did you say? I'm only writing. It was difficult as far as the road, we'll, we'll speak about it here in a minute, but the road of Christ is difficult. It's, it's not an easy one. Most importantly, though, sadly, uh, most importantly, though, how does Felix respond to Paul's deep and difficult message? Does he respond by coming to Christ or by running away from Christ? End of verse 25 there says that Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now, for when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. What happens here is Felix feels the heat of God's call of the Holy Spirit working on his heart to repent and turn to Christ. And instead of him running to Jesus Christ and into his arms, Felix runs away. As I've already mentioned so far, you see the gospel, Christ's call to repentance, surrender to him as Lord, demands a response and sadly has consequences, as Paul spoke about, of rejection the judgment that is to come. And Felix felt the heat of that and decided to get away from Paul and get away from Christ instead of run to Christ. What does everyone do in almost every situation in their lives that they encounter in one way or another? I actually, my, my, my eldest son challenged me with this one day. We were on a ride. We were talking about this and I had never seen this before. This happened some months ago, but it's always stuck with me. And I kind of, at first I rejected it, but after I thought about it, the more I did, it's true. What does everybody do with every situation that they're faced with in life? How do they respond? They either, the title of the sermon, they either fight or flight. And I thought, no, 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 wait a minute, because I was taking the words to, well, fight. That means fight. I'm going to fight that person, or, or, or flight means I'm going to get away. But the word fight or flight, the, the term fight or flight doesn't just mean uh, fight somebody like to hurt them and then or fly like fly in a plane. Flight, think about it like this, flight would be continue in that situation. Uh, for instance, you're having a conversation with a coworker. And what that coworker is saying is making you a little uncomfortable because that coworker is talking about maybe your performance, or maybe you know he's talking about uh, Bobby Sue, who who's not the greatest worker, and you know you're you're then faced with a fight or flight situation. Do I stay? Because then there's the flight situation. Get away, run away from that situation because you're not willing to yield or because you're not willing to fall into it, right? You're talking about Bobby Joe and Bobby Joe's the, one of the worst worker and you're hearing all this. You're pretty, now you have a, a fight or flight there. You can stay and you can either A, defend Bobby Joe or say, hey, you know, Bill, that's really not the way to talk. But then you see you're staying. But then some people... And, and, and sometimes it's good to flight away. Some people, maybe they don't know enough, but they don't want to be in that bad situation. They're like, hey, you know, I, I hear you, but hey, my, um, I got my, my wife's calling, and I, yeah, maybe you're making up an excuse or whatever, but you're my wife's calling. Hey, man, I, I'll, I'll talk to you later about that. And then what do you do? You, you run away. Because maybe either A, you don't have the answer, or B, you don't want to get caught in the situation, or, or C, in a situation like, like with here with Felix, he had a fight or flight. Paul was telling him, hey, here's the thing, and here's how you respond, and here's if you don't. And Felix, instead of going, oh, right, oh, man, I can skip all that, I'm Jesus, love me, oh, man. And then he could come to fight, or, or come to run to, or he's, oh, man, I don't want, whoa, I got to, oh, righteousness, oh, I got righteousness, I got to repent, and turn, no, I'm out of here. And so they're fight, 
or flight. You see, when God puts his offer of new life and salvation to someone, he hopes that we will come to Christ and obey his words. Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Here's what I'm doing for you. Now repent and turn to me. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, some of the most famous words in Scripture. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But see, sadly, Felix, Felix here, instead of fighting or staying and obeying the gospel and coming and surrendering to Christ... Uh, he, as the most or the majority of the world, sadly resist, he resisted and he flew away, he left, and he got away from the situation. Jesus spoke about, I keep saying that the majority or the, the, the most people will have that flight response to Christ. Matthew 7, 13, 14, Jesus already sees it. He saw it, sadly he saw it. I'm sure it, it hurt him even saying these words. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Jesus was seeing the response that people were having to him. Hey, many, many are going to flight, many are leaving, many aren't going to stay. And there's a because, and, and we're going to see at the end, and we're going to finish out the message here in a little bit, because, verse 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Notice that there was a because there. Many are going to go the way of destruction because walking with Christ and coming to Christ and knowing Christ is just simply too hard for them. Felix here embodies what Jesus Christ said in those verses perfectly as one of the many that was running to destruction. And this is what ultimately happens in the heart of the many. Stephen spoke to the Jews who were rejecting Jesus Christ and rejecting his witness to them. Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Jesus Christ, speaking of the Jews, Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Christ says in the word, Matthew 24, 14, that many are called, but few are chosen. Is that because God didn't call them? No, God said they're called. Now, certain people will tell you, hey, once God calls, you're done. You have to come. That's it. You're done. Many are called. Hey, the called, they're the called, they're chosen. And they're chosen and they're elected and they're predestined. Yet Jesus said, Matthew 20, 24, 14, many are called, but few are chosen. Why are the few chosen? That's because the road, right, I just read it, Matthew 7, the road of Christ, the way to come to him, the way to stay with him is too or was too hard for that person to bear. Matthew 7, 14. This is all very sad for mankind as a whole and for Felix in this situation with Paul, but it is their choice to either, anybody, to take flight away from Jesus Christ when presented with him or, or to continue with him or fight and, or, or fight and come to and surrender Jesus Christ because that's, that's what God wants. God tells us his children, his real children, those that have turned to him. 1 Timothy 2.4, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and, and there Paul was exhorting Timothy, hey, pray. 
Pray for all men because here's what God wants. God wants people to be saved. So think about it like this. Why men, women, and children aren't saved or never get saved or fall away from and don't endure is not because God didn't want that for them. No, 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 no. Understand, that's not because God didn't want. God's will is that he wants them to come to the knowledge of truth and be saved. But it's because they chose it. They chose to flight, to get away. So as far as Felix goes, he is frightened at the gospel message, the response that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring him to, and, and he tells Paul to go away. Literally. I, it broke my heart. Go away. I just, wow. That is, that's harsh. Go away. That's what he literally told Paul. And, and it's because he was running away from the response that Jesus Christ wanted him to have. Run to me. No, 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 go away, get away. He was running. And the next verse tells us why. It speaks volumes as to why. Meanwhile, verse 26, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent, him, sent for him more often and conversed with him. So he had rejected God's call in his life to Jesus Christ to be saved because, did you pick it up in that verse? Because he was hoping for Paul to give him some cash. He was hoping that Paul would bribe him to be set free. See why he was running away? His love of money. His love of dishonesty. His love of sin. See, bribery is spoken of as an ungodly thing 24 times in the Bible. It's an unrighteous thing, total unrighteous thing. All of them can be summed up with the negative of Exodus 23.8. And you shall take no bribe, as God tells Moses, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Showing right there, Felix didn't want to respond to Christ because Paul was telling him how, you know, you, you become righteous in Christ by this, but then here's what God expects of you after. And Felix didn't want any part of it. Felix wanted to be corrupt. Felix didn't want to be righteous. He didn't want to have anything to do with Christ. And, of course, there was the money, as if Felix needed it. Paul writes to, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that goes for everybody. For the Christian, the danger of money, he goes on, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So money is dangerous, guys. Money, money, money is dangerous. And here we see money was one of the reasons Felix turned down eternal life and the love of the great and amazing Savior for the temporal pleasure of money, which is not eternal. It's fleeting. You can't take it with you. It's what they call temporal. It only, it only helps you here. People think it satisfies here. But no matter what you get here, it doesn't satisfy you It just is something that you have. And then the more you have, the Bible says actually the more you'll want. So you're actually never even satisfied even the more you get. So it's really, really sad. It's pretty sad. It's it's awful, if you ask me. Uh, Verse 27, getting to the last verse of today. Horrible and sad. Felix doesn't make it any better for himself anytime soon either. Verse 27, but after two years, Portius Festus, which is another, you know, governor, another 
politician succeeded Felix, and Felix wanted to, to do with the Jews, the lying, cheating, rotten Jews who were wrong that came to him and tried to lie to him to get Paul the death penalty. He wanted to do the Jews a favor. What? And he left Paul bound. Felix then would have called on Paul for two whole years. That's a long time. Two whole years to talk to him, not caring again, not, not, those verses said he didn't call him just to talk to him about Jesus Christ. He called him rather in hopes that Paul would give him some money again, as if he needed it. He was a governor, right? He didn't need any money, but he called him in hopes that Paul would bribe him. It was just the simple fact that he loved the unrighteousness of the bribe. And he wanted that money. Just You're never satisfied, no matter how much you get. And that's sad. Even worse yet, even though Felix knew that Paul was an innocent man, when he was replaced by another politician, he wanted to help out those lying and crooked and evil Jews. And he leaves Paul in custody. The same Jews, as I just mentioned, lied to him about the th- accusations against Paul. Lied to him. And he wanted to do them a favor. Misery loves company and evil just loves companions to do evil. Felix was an evil man. He loved his evil. He loved the bribe. He loved the sin. He loved the money. And when Paul said, turn to Christ and repent, and and then here's how you live for Christ, and then here's the consequences. If you don't turn, Felix is like, I ain't willing. I'm not willing. Felix counted the cost. Bible says count the cost. On what you you know when you when you hear something when you propose something hey can I do that can that really be me can I really turn to Christ is Christ really you know and Felix instead of running to he counted the cost and said I, I don't want to give up my unrighteousness I love my sin I love money I, I can't do that no way Felix is rejecting of Christ because he loved unrighteousness and money. This breaks my heart. I know it breaks God's heart. I know it broke God's heart. I I hope that he ended up running to Jesus Christ before it was too late for him and he died. In case you didn't know, but Felix's decision, his desires in this section of loving money, loving sin, loving unrighteousness, probably represents and reflects the majority of why people throughout all of time and even today, have rejected Jesus Christ, and they still reject Jesus Christ today. Did you get all that? The reason Felix rejected Christ and he flew away instead of came to is because of his love of money and love of sin and love of unrighteousness. And that is the majority of why everybody that's ever had an opportunity to know of Jesus Christ, that's why they don't come. I wasn't sure if you understood that first time I said that, because that, that is those are harsh words. And, and did you know that actually God's no stranger to that? God's not like, surprised about that. Uh, he's, he's sad about it, but he knows about it. And, and did you know that even in Scripture, there's one section, you won't believe what section it comes out of, but there's actually one whole section of just about four or five verses that explains that whole thing right in a nutshell. God spells it all out to us in John 
chapter 3. Listen to what John tells us in his Gospel 3, verses 16 through 19. Now, everybody knows that that's, that's why people say, John 3, John, John 3, 16, for God so loved them. What are you talking about, Pastor Ed? That's, what are you talking about? It, it describes what Felix said. Just listen. Can't just read one verse. You got to read the whole Bible. You can't just cherry pick verses just to pick out what you like. John 3, 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Absolutely, that's the gospel. That's, that's the response of the gospel. Turning to him and not a head belief. That's a little bit more complicated. It's a heart belief that Paul speaks about in Romans. But keep on reading, verse 17. For God did not send his world, Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Oh, I passed around. I know that one. That's right. He, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Hey, amen. Well, 18, 19. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation. This is their, this is not just unbelief. So in case you were thinking, oh, the belief in the scriptures, oh, oh I can, I, yes, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. That's not the belief that he's talking about. He's talking about a heart belief, a, a belief that changes your core, a repentance. It's an invisible thing. It's, it's supernatural. Romans 10, 9 and 10, read it. It's a heart belief because this is the condemnation. Verse 19, listen that the light has come into the world, Christ representing light, Christ representing righteousness, Christ representing truth. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See? You got Christ living, dying, sacrificing himself. You got the response. Hey, this is what God wants you to do in response to that. Turn to Christ. Have a heart belief. Repent. Surrender. We'll talk about it in, in, a, in, in a little bit. I'll, I'll describe it for you just as I go here quickly from this point on. Okay? But then you have why people didn't come. People didn't come. People aren't coming because the condemnation is on them because Christ has come into the world as light and love and righteousness and truth. But men love darkness. They love their sin. They love their unrighteousness. They love their evil because their deeds were evil. So the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness can't comprehend it because it loves wanting to be in the darkness. Ever notice how when you turn on the light, there's no more dark? Well, that's not because there's no more dark. The darkness flees. It goes somewhere else. It just hides. Because if you go under your couch, even with the light on in your living room, I'm looking right now underneath one of my tables in my living room here, it's dark under there. There's no light. That darkness, it didn't go away. It, it fled. It fled from the light because it loved its darkness. Just like Felix, just like the majority, they loved the darkness. They loved their unrighteousness. They loved their sin. They loved their money. They loved their drugs. They loved their alcohol. You, whatever your darkness is... They loved that, and so they didn't come to Jesus Christ. They ran away. i say again, it breaks my heart, it's sad. People aren't lost and on their way to hell and in hell right now because God wanted them to be there. <laughs> they went there, they're on their way there, they're, they're, they may be entering right now, they probably a lot are, not because God or Christ didn't try, but because they loved their sin 
and the sin of the world and their unrighteousness and their darkness more. The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 and 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that is amazing, but that is what he did for us. That is not salvation in itself just because Jesus Christ did what he did. So the gospel doesn't make people saved. I hope you understand that. Uh, some examples. I, gave, I, I have three examples here for us. Just because Donald Trump is a billionaire. What I know, oh yeah, Donald Trump, he's the president of the United States of America. Oh, yeah, I know about Donald Trump. Just because you know that he's the president and that he's a billionaire and that he's filthy stinking rich doesn't make you one. You understand? It's really easy. It's because Just because you know he's a billionaire doesn't make you a billionaire, right? Number two, just because, and I had look, I just looked up just random guys. I didn't want to give just the standard ones. Uh, there's a fellow named Chris Brown. I guess a lot of people know about him. I've never heard of him before, but he's, a, he's a, I guess, a famous actor, singer, songwriter of this newer day and age. He has... And this is kind of like right up my alley because I do really like cars as well too. But he has what they call a Bugatti Veyron. All right, you mean wow, Bugatti? That sounds fancy. Yeah, well, it's a it's a million dollar supercar, <laughs> and it has one thousand and two hundred horsepower. Oh, that's guys! I know are loving that right now, right? But just because I know he has one of those, that doesn't do me any good. Just because I know he has one of those supercars worth a million dollars, that doesn't make me have one. Do you understand the gospel now? What Christ did is what Christ did. It's our opportunity, to, it's, it's our choice, it's our responsibility to respond to the gospel. Not just because we know of the gospel. Know what Jesus Christ did for us. One more example, completely applicable, it completely just... It, hits the, the everything we've been talking about here right on the head. Just because my wife may go out and buy me the most awesome Christmas present, she scoured my lists and she said, oh, wow, that's what my husband wants. I'm going to, you know, he, I, he, that's probably the, this one that he might expect me to get the last, but I'm going to get it for him, even though I don't know it. And she puts it under the tree with my name written all over it with hearts and love letters. Oh, I love you, my sweetie. You're the best husband ever. Oh, and, and she wraps it in the most beautiful wrapping paper and all. And she puts 35 bows on there. And she, she takes it. She, she gets it professionally wrapped. And it has the most beautiful bow on it. And, and man, you look at this present. It looks like a million-dollar present. That's awesome. But if I don't go and I don't pick it up, and I don't receive it, and I don't open it, and lastly, I don't enjoy it and use it and continue to have it for myself, what good did it do me? Nothing. It's just sitting under there. It's mine. It's for me. But if I don't take possession of it, if I don't do my part and receive it, then it did me no good. I mean, it's nice to know, wow, she really loves me. She did all that. But if I don't go and take it and receive it, I'm rejecting her and I'm rejecting her gift. Wow. John said the same thing in the Gospel of John, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 12. Same thing. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. See, it's not just because Jesus Christ did this, oh, I'm good, because I know about it. It's because you take 
your choice. And you respond to what he did for you. And you go and you receive what he did for you. This is salvation. This is true salvation. Knowing what Jesus Christ did for you does you zero good if you don't respond. And you don't and it does and it does even less good if you don't respond the way God tells you to respond. Jesus Christ told us to respond. There's, there's a lot of confusion about how to receive him. Jesus Christ makes it really clear. I don't go through this every single sermon, and I don't go through it sometimes. A lot of times the people that I'm witnessing to, because God wants them to seek him, but, but I think there's somebody listening that has been seeking God and maybe wondering, how, how do I get, how do I become a child of God? I mean, I know I've believed in Jesus Christ since my youth, but I don't, you know, feel a connection. I'm not sure we're really, you know, connected. Well, Jesus Christ lays it all out, really simple. Matthew 16, 24, 25, really simple. It's simple to understand. And this is what Paul was talking about with Felix, but it's not quite as simple to receive. Let me, let, me, let me read it, and then we'll talk about why. Matthew 16, 24, 25, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, that means that Christ wants to be your master. He wants to be your Lord. He wants you to make a choice to take yourself off the throne of the one who rules your life, which is you. That's how we're born. We're born, I'm the king of my, king or queen of my destiny. I'm the one, I'm the ruler of my life. Jesus says, I know that. And man, you know, if you're sitting there right now and you know that's you, you know you're living in destruction too. Because I was. 25 years of my life, I lived that destruction like that. It was literally a living hell for me. Literally. This is horrible, horrible life. I hated that part. I hated that part of my life. It was disgusting. So Jesus said, deny yourself. That means take yourself off your throne and let him have that place. Give it to him. Surrender it to him. Make him the Lord. Make him the master. Then he goes on to say, second thing, take up your cross. Hey, this is how I want you to live for me. Once you've denied yourself, here's, here's your handbook. Here's how you're supposed to go to work. you work for me every day. Now I've saved you. Now I've hired you in a sense. Now I want you to go out and, and you know, work your job that I've given you. Pick up your cross. And then, and then he says, most importantly, or lastly, to finish it off, kind of summing it all up, follow me. Follow me. That's what a Christian is. It's a person who's made a decision to repent, surrender to Jesus Christ, and then follow him. Follow his ways. Follow his teachings. And he sums it all up and he wraps it all up. You hear it in Christian songs. You may sing it. You may not ever know what it means. Here's what it means. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want your life and you want it for you, hey, you can have it. But you won't save your life. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, right? You can have it your own, but you're going to lose your eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake or loses or surrenders his life, his or her life to him, he says, we'll find it. It's really simple to understand. <laughs> it's another question on whether you will. 
then just like Paul told Felix in this text, there is the abiding in Christ as your Lord and Master and obedience and His teachings until the end of your lives is, what, is all it was in there, Matthew 16, 24, 25. Uh, come, staying with Him and abiding Him in until the end of your lives or His second coming, enduring and receiving Him and what He's done for us. Matthew 24, 13, He who endures to the end should be saved, right? First Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, if you hold fast the word of the gospel which I preached to you as Paul just said, uh, because why? Remember, I'm just summing everything up because of the judgment that's coming upon all mankind when God says enough. The judgment of the quick and the dead, the judgment of those that are righteous in Christ and those that are not. I know that all of that was a lot to take in. I also know it wasn't a lot of verses and I already know uh, I'm right about an hour, which is where God usually has me. But saying all that we've covered and looking at Felix's response and talking about all the things we've said, I want you to look at yourself now and I want you to judge yourself because that's what the Bible says. Check yourself. Examine yourself, Paul says, 2 Corinthians. How have you responded or are you responding or how, how have you responded to Jesus Christ? Where are you with him today? Have you heard about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and made a decision to fight or come to Jesus Christ the way he taught us in Matthew 16 to receive him, believing the gospel, surrendering him as Lord and master, making him your king, the king of your life, the one whom you follow? And if so, have you been careful to guard your relationship with Jesus Christ? And have you endured in him, abiding in him, following his teachings, remaining submissive, submissive to him as Lord? Lord and master of your life, standing on him and his sacrifice and standing on what he's done for you up till today? Is that you? Or, or have you heard the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and how, and how you are to respond, repentance, submission of your life to him as Lord and master? And have you fled or ran away like the majority of people today in Felix in our text because of your sin? You love your sin. You love your unrighteousness. You love the temporary pleasures of this life. Where are you? If you have fought, stay with Jesus Christ and continue to stand abiding in Christ and in the gospel. The Bible says that your life will bear fruits of that. Something that just means that people that know you, your family that knows you, you, you when you read the Bible, your life will line up with the righteous things that Christ said to do and the righteous ways in which he said, follow me. Your life will be about Jesus Christ. Things in your life, you'll, you'll want to do things or you will do things that he said to do. Good things will naturally come out of your life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You can go read those at some point. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. The progression of truly true salvation, true submittance, true surrender is that Awesome, godly, holy things will flow from you and the following of Jesus Christ will be something that will be your desire. Even though it's hard to do, you'll want to do it because you love Him. And you said, I don't love the world. I don't love the sin of the world. It's nice, but I love Jesus. It's similar to if you've flown the coop and either come to Jesus Christ and surrender at one time or never come. Hearing the message of his love for you and, and what he requires of you and your response and, and getting far away like Felix many today have done. If this is you, then your life will reflect that as well. You may, when it comes up, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Christian. When somebody else 
brings it up, of course, you know. And, or maybe they're trying to talk to you about Jesus. Oh, oh of course, man. I'm, Jesus, yeah, yeah, 30 years. But then only you know you. Only you know you. Do you really live for him? When you examine his life, when you look at the way he lived in holiness, when you look at the way he said, follow me, do you do the things that he does? Do you love and forgive people when they wrong you? Do you live in righteousness? Do you try to abide in the law of the land? And, or are you, yeah, you know, those laws are just there for, you know, chumps. What's the speech that comes out of your mouth? Is, is every other word out of your mouth a foul word? The Bible says, let no unclean thing proceed out of your mouth. Are you an adulterer? Do you live in an adulterous relationship? Are you cheating on your wife? Or are, you, are you not married, but you're having sex outside of marriage? Are those things that Jesus Christ did? Are those the ways that Jesus Christ said to follow him? How about the movies that you watch? How about the TV that you watch? How about the radio that you listen to? Is it full of smut? Is it full of porno, por pornographical image, images? Is it, is it full of nastiness? Or, or do you strive, even though it's hard, to watch the godly things? You know you, okay? And if you've flown the coop, whether you admit it or not, <laughs> with your mind or maybe to others, you know you, and if you've flown the coop and you've run away because you love that sin, and you live for that sin, and you live for that life, then you'll know it, and you'll see it, and you know it, and your conscience tells you so right now. Again, if that's you, Jesus Christ loves you so much, but you have to respond to be saved. You have to surrender to Him as Lord and Master. You have to take yourself off your throne and put Him, because He wants a relationship with you now, an eternal life with you forever. But if you decide not to respond to him and what he's done for you, then know, though, because you will no, have no sacrifice for your sins when you die, God will judge you as an unworthy person to enter heaven, and he will cast you away to hell. Not because, again, you, he wanted you there, but because you chose that. Because you chose to love your sin and unrighteousness and your money and your drugs and your alcohol or whatever you love, your prostitution, your pornography, because you loved it more than Jesus Christ. Please respond to him today and run fighting into his arms to surrender. Don't flight away. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your, the great gospel, Lord God. It is the great gospel. It's an amazing gospel. Thank you so much, Lord God, for what you've done for us. But I pray, Lord God, as I said several times today, the gospel message, what Jesus Christ did, what Jesus Christ taught, who he was, means nothing. If we know all about it, but we don't respond through surrender, not respond by trying to live a more righteous life because you're going to work your way to heaven through religion, but, but surrender to Christ and fall on your knees at his feet. And then when you get up, you stay close to him. And you're in his word. Read, Jesus, how do you say follow you? Lord, please. I know there's people out there right now that think that thought they were good with Jesus Christ up till now. But now they know 
Their conscience convicts them that they're not. I pray, dear God, please bring them to their knees before Jesus Christ. Please. And those that have decided to follow you, Lord, I pray that we will continue. And we will continue to the end until we see your face shining in our judgment. But when you judge us and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. For you have been faithful with the little, enter in, I will make you ruler over much. Thank you so much, Lord God. Help us to endure. In Jesus Christ's mighty name we ask these things.